Please open the Word of God to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Jesus has fed the 5,000 in the first 14 verses or so with a few loaves and fishes of a lad that had a lunch there. And all 5,000 were fed along with their wives and children, which made the crowd 10 or 15,000 maybe. Twelve baskets full of fragments were taken up afterwards, and all the people had as much as they wanted to eat. It was quite a demonstration of the power of our Savior. This crowd, beginning a free lunch, revealed their hearts that they cared more about free food than they did a Savior. And so they tried to make Jesus king right there on the spot. And he refused them and went away alone in a mountain. We're told this in verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. The Bible refers to people like this as belly worshipers. Because the most important God to them is their belly being a synecdoche, or a part of English grammar, meaning it's part of our overall physical being. They want things. They want stuff. They want pleasure. They want ease. And we all have a disposition toward belly worship ourselves, and we want to beg God to curb it in us. We want to curb it ourselves and seek spiritual food. So this is the first key verse in John 6, and there's 71 verses, but the first key verse is verse 15, which tells us that Jesus perceived them not to be sincere. And we're talking about thousands of people that had followed him because they had seen the miracles of healing that he did. Verse 2 tells us that, that the reason he had this large crowd needing to be fed was because they were impressed by his healing miracles. But that is not salvation, nor does that mean a person really cares about the one doing the healing. Someone with a sick relative that is dear to them would love to have that relative healed. And they would appreciate him being healed or her being healed. But we want to reach and look far beyond the healing to the one doing the healing. And it's the Lord Jesus, and they didn't care about him. They wanted healing... Then they wanted food. And so they pursued him. Though he went into a mountain alone, night came, the apostles went across the Sea of Galilee without him. He walked on the water to meet them in their trip back to Capernaum. Peter jumped over the side after asking the Lord if he could walk on the water to him. And we went over that already. But Jesus was in Capernaum by supernatural means. In the morning, that crowd found that Jesus wasn't on their side of the Sea of Galilee. So they took shipping and came to Capernaum and found him in Capernaum. And their question is found in verse 25. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus, how'd you get here? You didn't take a ship. And you didn't walk around the Sea of Galilee. It's too far. How'd you get here? So there's a third miracle. The first miracle is the healings. The second miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. The third miracle is Jesus walking on the water. They, They see all this demonstration that Jesus is God. 
But notice what Jesus says in the next verse. It's the second key verse. Verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Your belly worshipers, all you care about is that meal. There's something far more important than that, and that is that I was sent to be a savior. There's sin, death, and hell to be delivered from that are far more important than getting an easy meal. And so he says in 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth. And these people had done some laboring. They had followed him on several extensions of his trip here that are recorded for us in John 6. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. God the Father sent one to be our Savior, and it's his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they should have been looking at him rather than the food or how he got to Capernaum or his healing. John 6, let me read to you the verses that we want to try to cover today. Beginning at verse 36 to verse 47. But I said unto you, Jesus has already said this once, and now he's repeating himself to this audience. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Amen, amen and amen. amen. No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. God must have the initiating event, act, work, power in our lives before we will go to Christ. And so Jesus uses 
this doctrinal argument in verse 44 to answer these men that are murmuring at him because he said, I came down from heaven. They didn't like that. The controversies surrounding Jesus Christ are legion. They're recorded in the Bible, some of them. John, this writer, in his first epistle of 1 John, writes about the Christological heresies about the different heretical views of Jesus Christ. Why would would anyone believe on Christ? God would have to draw them to do so because by nature they don't want anything to do with him. And so Jesus is confronting this audience and telling them why they don't believe on him. All they want is the food. All they want is the healing. And he's explained to them because God has not drawn you. And God hasn't drawn you because you were not given to me by my Father. Notice that 37th verse. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. Coming to Christ in this passage, in this context, is to believe on him. To believe on him in a sincere, sacrificial, life-changing, service-oriented way. Not just mere mental assent. The devils all know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, but their mental assent or their intellectual knowledge of that fact is irrelevant. It's to embrace and love the Lord Jesus Christ and to want to live for Him. And that's truly coming to Him. And those that the Father gave to Jesus will come to Him, verse 37. But they need to be drawn by the Father, and we're going to learn about that today, God helping us. Yesterday, in the preparatory email that I sent you, I asked you to read, or I gave it to you, John 3, 3, where Jesus said to Nicodemus, remember, if you're reading the Gospel of John, you've already encountered this statement. In John chapter 3, in verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see. He cannot see. Do you remember in Matthew 13 that I introduced the service with a number of minutes ago, Jesus told his apostles, I'm using parables because these people, though they have eyes, they can't see any spiritual truth. I also gave you John 8.43, where Jesus said to another audience of Jews, Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. They could hear the audible noises of Jesus' mouth, but they could not understand the spiritual things and the profound value that those things and his doctrine had. And so Jesus told his apostles why he used parables was because they have ears, but hearing, they hear not. They don't hear anything of value. So, this is a rule of the kingdom of God. Jesus said so in that passage and in other places. Those that do not hear me, I will take away even what they think they have. And those that have, they have believed and they have some understanding, I will give them more. That's a horrible judgment and indictment upon men that do not believe the gospel. God will take away even further understanding from them. And when we submit ourselves and say, Lord, with the words of Solomon, I am but a little child. 
Help me to go out and to come in before this great people. God will give us more understanding of him if we'll humble ourselves like that. In John 8, 45, I gave you this verse. Jesus speaking about the Jewish audience there. But because I tell you the truth, ye believe not. That is a staggering combination of words. You would think that when Jesus would teach truth, that's all he ever taught, is that men would believe. But Jesus said, you don't believe because I am presenting spiritual truth. Men will believe a lie rather than the truth. They seek fables rather than sound doctrine. This has been true since the Garden of Eden, where Eve chose a lie over the truth of God. God said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Satan said, Thou shalt not surely die. There was a revised version of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 with the addition of one three-letter word, not. The devil said, Thou shalt not surely die. And that was a terrible lie. Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. She gave to her husband Adam. He did eat, and it condemned our whole race. And we have loved lies ever since. Without the grace of God to change us to love the truth. In John 8, 47, Jesus said, He that is of God heareth God's words. Heareth. He that is not of God heareth them not. So we have to be of God in order to have ears to hear spiritual truth. Everyone can hear the audible sound except a physically deaf person. And we're not dealing with them today. We're dealing with everyone that has the ordinary faculty of hearing. But they cannot hear the spiritual truth. It doesn't click. It doesn't register. They don't understand it. They don't love it. They don't want to pursue it. They don't see in it its value. And when Jesus spoke, every word that he said was full of value. They should have run to lay hold of him and grab him by the ankles instead of murmuring at him. But most of the world wants to murmur against the Christian religion. They want to murmur against the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to murmur against sound doctrine. Paul warned us, and we live in the fulfillment of this prophecy. The time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. But they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, they have ears with an itch. The ears don't want to hear sound doctrine. The ears want to hear fables. And so Paul said, they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables. Men love fables. The devil told Eve a fable in the Garden of Eden. He said, God has a secret. And I'm going to share with you that secret, Eve. God knows that in the day that you eat the fruit off that tree, you're going to be wise like him, Eve. That's his secret that he's keeping from you. That was a fable. That was a lie. She fell for it. Adam followed her into it. And men have done it ever since. They prefer fables. All this four moon blood junk coming out of Texas. Jesus hasn't come back. Harold Camping and his promises of Jesus coming back five years ago. Jesus hasn't come back. William Miller and the Seventh-day Adventists that Jesus was going to come back in 1844. Jesus didn't come back. The countless prophecies of the Jehovah's Witnesses that the end of the world was at hand in 1917. Jesus hasn't come back. But men will flock to fables 
rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. His audience started at 15,000. Will you allow me that number? I'm just guessing. There were 5,000 men, and the other Gospels tell us there were women and children. So let's say 15,000. Jesus leaves them after feeding them and goes into a mountain. That thinned it out. Then he walked on water and they had to take shipping. That thinned it out. The ones that were left are in a synagogue in Capernaum with him. You may find that in verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. How many does he have left? Let's say a few hundred. He has left. His doctrine continues to be offensive to them. And he doesn't apologize, and he doesn't modify it. He makes it even harsher. And so they say this in verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples. And these people that had followed him so far, the Bible's calling them disciples, but they're not real disciples. There's fake disciples, and disciples in word only. And then there are real disciples that have a changed heart, that truly love Jesus Christ, that don't care about the food. What would you rather be, fat and happy, and not know Jesus Christ sincerely in your heart, or to know Jesus Christ sincerely in your heart and be the beggar Lazarus at the rich man's gate? Which would you rather be? Let me be Lazarus, rather than the rich man faring sumptuously every day in his house. Because guess where the, who the chariot came for? The rich man died, and he lifted up his eyes in hell. Lazarus died, and a chariot was there beside him to carry his spirit into heaven. We have, for our example, let's say we have 500. They are complaining among themselves again, and they have complained throughout this chapter. They do not like the preaching of Jesus Christ. So they complain in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This is offensive. This is impossible to receive. And then Jesus deals with them more harshly yet in verses 62 through 65. And look at the result in verse 66. Here's the result of Jesus Christ preaching. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Those people left. Jesus didn't chase them. Jesus hadn't made it easy for them because they didn't deserve the truth. It's the same reason he spoke in parables in Matthew 13. They didn't deserve the truth. Truth is not a right. Truth is a blessing. Truth is a privilege. God has given us truth every day of our lives. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do you understand the word declare? Do you understand glory of God? When we see a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful day, the moon and the stars, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, which is another word for heaven, showeth his handiwork. Romans 1 says that the creation says and teaches about God so clearly that men are without excuse. We've chosen lies. So Jesus Christ, realizing that these people had no heart in them for truth, pushed them with his metaphorical comparisons to bread. And he told them twice in verse 44 and in verse 65, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. 
the reason you folks think this is hard, the reason you don't want to believe on me is because the Father has not drawn you. And the Father has not drawn you because the Father did not give you to me. That's verse 37. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. So Jesus is left with 12 men. 15,000, 5,000, 500, 12. Did he, did he turn and say the 12? Hey, apostles, what did I do that drove the crowd away? What can I do better next time? Was there anything like that? He turned to the 12 and he said, will ye go away also? Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the 12, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, and we love these words, don't we, brethren? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Back to John 6 and verse 36. That's where we're headed, and we want to understand the details in between. Why didn't this crowd say, Lord, we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, because we have seen you heal, we have seen you feed, we have seen you walk on water and calm a storm, and we have heard your doctrine. But instead they turned and walked away. Instead they murmured at him. Instead they complained. This is a hard saying. That was a boring pre- that was a boring sermon. That was an offensive sermon. I didn't like the things that I heard. Lord help us. Do you know the Bible has a short little verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that is has these few words. Despise not prophesying. Prophesying is another Bible expression for preaching. It's declaring the will of God, and we should never despise it. It's God's ordained means. There are many times I wish he had ordained a different means and a different person for this pulpit. But God chose to reveal himself by preaching his written word. Don't despise it. These people despised it, and the Lord Jesus Christ, by continuing to push his metaphor of bread, drove them all away until there was none left but the twelve, and even one of them was a devil. Lord, teach us what you would have us to learn. Natural man is blind. He cannot see spiritual truth. He's deaf. He cannot hear it. His heart has no understanding to comprehend spiritual truth. For those that are listening to this or viewing this at another time via the Internet... I would suggest that you also read Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 for the Lord's lesson there of the rich man and Lazarus and how that Abraham told the rich man that even if Lazarus were to come back from the dead, it would not help his brothers because a miracle will not help. That would be one of the greatest evangelistic methods ever. If Lazarus was to come back from the dead, and appear to the rich man's brothers and tell them, you don't want to go to hell, and your brother has told me to come and tell you you don't want to go to hell, so get in there to church and do something right for a change. Jesus said, through Abraham, don't they have Moses being read in the synagogues and the temple? 
That should be sufficient. And the rich man said, "Uh, Father Abraham, my brothers prefer to golf on the Sabbath. But if Lazarus came back from the dead, they would listen to that. Jesus said they would not listen to that. But an external miracle is not the miracle we need. We need an internal miracle of changing our heart and our ears and our eyes in order to understand truth. I would also recommend that you read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For those 15 wonderful verses are an indictment of the human race. This is Paul's first chapter of writing in the New Testament. And he lists the sin of man. And that is that the truth God has revealed primarily by creation, man has rejected by worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And that man does not give thanks to God for every good thing that he has. Romans 1 is a horrible, terrible indictment of our race. It explains where sodomy came from. It explains where every inconvenient, unnatural, perverse conduct of mankind comes from. It's God turning men over when they reject the revelation of truth that he does offer them. Brethren, let's never turn away from the voice of God that speaks to us from heaven through his word. Let's humble ourselves to every bit of scripture. I would suggest you also read Romans 3, 9 through 18, where Paul quotes from six places in the Old Testament to prove the depravity of man, that there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God, no, not one, by nature. God has to change our nature, and he's promised to do it. And then in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 52, is Luke recording Paul's sermon in Antioch of Pisidia across the Mediterranean Sea, where the Jews blasphemed the gospel, and Paul said to them, you have judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. We turn to the Gentiles. And when the Gentiles heard that, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, And here are the words of Luke in Acts chapter 13. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And that is what John 6 teaches. All the Father giveth me. Those are the ones that God has ordained to eternal life. All the Father giveth me shall come to me. John 6, 37. Same as Acts 13, 48 and everywhere else in the word of God. So we we love the words, all the Father giveth me. We appreciate that. Salvation's a gift in the Bible. But there's aspects of the gift that most people miss. God gave us to Jesus Christ before the world began. The names were written in the book of life before the world began. Revelation 13.8. God chose us in Jesus Christ before the world began. Ephesians 1.4. God's purpose and grace in Christ Jesus to save us was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 2 Timothy 1.9. The kingdom was prepared for us from the foundation of the world. The heavenly kingdom. So when we read the words in verse 37, all the Father giveth me, we love those words. Then God gave Jesus Christ to come and die for us in our place as a substitute. Then Jesus Christ gives us eternal life. Those are the gifts of salvation. It's not an offer. It's not an offer. It's never an offer in the Bible. It's never called an offer, and it's never an offer. If God offered eternal life to the human race, Given the way the Bible describes us as being dead in trespasses and sins, how many would be saved? 
None. If you have the cure for cancer and you go into a morgue, how much good do you do? None. We must be given life first. Then we hear the glorious news of the gospel and we believe it. Thank you, Lord. That's John 6.37. The first six words. Two weeks ago, we spent two sermons on, we spent a sermon on uh, the six words. Shall come to me. Coming to Christ is to believe on him. Reading through this passage, you will see come and believe used repeatedly in a parallel way as being synonyms for each other. For instance, look at verse 35, just to remind you, and there's, there's about five of these close comparisons to tell you what it means to come to Christ. John 6, 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The parallelism of those two clauses running side by side tell us that believing and coming mean the same thing. But we want to remember that truly coming to Christ, because the Gospel of John tells us about some that believed on him, but Jesus would not commit himself to them. John 2, verses 23 through 25. John 8, verses 30 through 59. John 2, John 8, John 7. And these, these people believed on him to some extent. That's why they were following him for his miracles. That's why they were there on a mountainside when he fed them. That's why they chased him across the lake in ships to get to Capernaum. They believed in him to some degree. They wanted to make him king. Don't you think they believed in him to some degree to want to make him king? But they did not see in him that he was the Son of God and the Lord of this universe and the one to whom they should humble themselves and repent of their sins and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Instead, they wanted him to do for them. We want to say to Christ, Lord, like Saul did on the road to Damascus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We want to be like Isaiah when he saw the glory of Jesus Christ in prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, here am I, send me. Right. Not, oh, there you are, Lord. I could use this and this and this. Thanks. It's a huge difference. It's a belly worshiper or a Christ worshiper. Look at that 37th verse, the last part of it. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ, run to him, believing on him, calling on his name, repenting of your sins and falling at his feet and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Show me my sins and I'll confess them. But all the ones that I do know, I confess to thee, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon my soul. He will in no wise cast you out. What a glorious savior he is. The hindrance is never with Christ. The hindrance is with us. How many truly go to him in that humble, submissive, repentant way. Verse 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And we used that last Sunday for the Lord's Supper. I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed with strong crying in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
an angel was sent to strengthen him. Luke describes it, 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 it was as if he were sweating great drops of blood. He wasn't sweating great drops of blood, but his agony was compared to that by Luke in his gospel. And Jesus didn't come to do his will, but he came to do his father's will. And his father's will was for him to die for you and me. And so in that garden of Gethsemane, and I hope you're not offended that I might repeat it twice, Jesus repeated it three times in three separate prayers, begging the father, if it be possible, father, Let this cup pass from me. That means drinking the cup of crucifixion. Let this cup pass from me. Is there another way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he went to the cross, and he went to the cross boldly. He could have called 12 legions of angels, which would have been 72,000 of his mighty angels, to have split this world like you might split a peach and deliver him out of the hands of the Romans and the Jews. But he didn't. He didn't utter a word. He was like a lamb being taken to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears doesn't say anything, the mighty Son of God stood there and was destroyed physically for us. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, Do you know what a privilege it is to have a book in your lap? A book in your lap that tells you what the will of God is? We don't have any right to the will of God. Why would he even share it with us? Because of Jesus Christ, his son was the great object and person of it to save us. And so we have it told to us right here in verse 39. Moses told Israel this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. God has a lot of secrets that are none of our business. You know, there's things that happen to you in life and you're not sure why they happen. God knows exactly why they happen and we believe that they always happen for very good reasons. Perfect reasons, holy reasons. But we shouldn't be worrying about His secret will. We don't know what the future of America is. God does. And we love to leave it with Him. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But the revealed things, the things he's revealed belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. But here in John 6.39, we have some secrets revealed to us, don't we? The secret will becomes the revealed will as Jesus tells us some of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And so in John 6.39, we hear the privilege of that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Look at those words in John 6.39. I should lose nothing. There is not a single soul that God sent Jesus into this world to save that will be lost because he said so. And we believe him. And we humble ourselves to him. No one deserves to be saved. No one has the right to be saved. We all have sinned against God and rejected him. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 18. We've deserved death. We chose death in the Garden of Eden. Didn't God say to our first parents, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die? Why did we choose death? We chose it. That original sin still hangs over all of us. Why do babies die? Babies die because they're guilty of the original sin of Adam and Eve. 
That's why babies die. People can talk about the age of accountability all they want. That is a devil-invented, man-made heresy. Because even infants are held accountable for what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. And so there's got to be a deliverer. And he's called the second Adam. He's the last Adam. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 39, of all which he hath given me, speaking about the Father, and those that the Father elected and gave to Jesus Christ to be saved, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. There's no uncertainty about the future of this world. It is all worked out in the perfect plan of God. And he is going to deliver some for the display of his glory and grace to the universe. He will deliver no devils. There was no Savior provided for the devil and his angels. They are far greater in glory and intelligence and beauty than we are, but there's no Savior for them. They will suffer under his wrath in a place prepared for them. But he has chosen to display his glory and his grace on those that the Father gave him. And he will not lose a single one of them. And he will display his wrath and his power against sin on the rest. That's John, 30, John chapter 6 and verse 39. What a wonderful passage of Scripture it is. I should lose nothing. That is so contrary to what most teach, but that's what Jesus taught. We don't care what others teach. We care what Jesus taught, and it's plain enough. Amen. You know, when it says at the last part of verse 40, verse 39, I should raise it up again at the last day, that's a frequent statement of Jesus in this particular passage of Scripture. It ends verse 39, it ends verse 40, it ends verse 44, and it ends verse 54. Four occurrences of, I will raise him up again at the last day. Because of that doctrine we learned in chapter 5 from Jesus, he's in Capernaum here, 80 miles north of Jerusalem. Chapter 5, he was in Jerusalem on trial for his life. And he told those Jews there that wanted to kill him, for having healed a man on the Sabbath day, he told those Jews there, God's given me all authority and all judgment, and a day is coming in the which I will call every body, every physical body, out of the ground to the resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation. Right. Turn back one page to John chapter 5, where Jesus exalts himself to these men that wanted to kill him for healing a man. Because they love their Sabbath more than they love the Son of God. John 5, 28, Jesus said, Marvel not at this. He's just described the fact that he gives spiritual life to men, but he also gives physical life to men. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. This is a future event, and it is still future to you and me, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Jesus will call every single one up out of the ground. He can recompose their atoms and cells of their body so easily and shall come forth. Every physical body will come forth out of the ground. It'll rip up every cemetery. They'll come up out of the sea. They'll come up from every place they've been carried by birds and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's the Lord Jesus preaching. This is the gospel. We all deserve this. Right. 
we chose the resurrection of damnation in the Garden of Eden. But thanks be to God, He made a bigger choice, a greater choice for us, and that's to send His Son, the second Adam, to deliver us. And so, in John chapter 6, four times, 39, 40, 44, and 54, it says, I will raise Him up. Brethren, I want to be raised up at the last day. And I want you to be raised up at the last day. And he'll lose none of them. He won't lose a single one. This year's the sixth year since I buried my mother over at Woodruff Road and Highway 14. But you know, and I know, that she came to Jesus Christ and believed on him and loved him, showing the evidence of her eternal life. And my Savior isn't going to lose her. I couldn't keep her. She couldn't keep her. The doctors couldn't keep her. But the Lord Jesus Christ kept her. Amen. And he keeps all of us. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. How do we know that we have eternal life? We can't see the book of life where our names have been written from the foundation of the world. We can't see the palms of God's hand where our names have been inscribed according to the word of God. Have you seen the Lord Jesus Christ from the preaching of his pure gospel and have you believed on him in a way that makes you repent of your sins, love him, as the redeemer of your soul, reverence him as the king of the universe and want to commit yourself to him in living, sacrificial obedience. That's truly believing on him. Notice the words of verse 40. If that which, that everyone, excuse me, verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. That's verse 40. Just jumping back to verse 36, Jesus said something very different about that crowd. Look what he said to them. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. That is terrible. They saw him in ways we can't see him. They saw him physically. They saw people healed that doctors could not help. They saw him take a lad's little lunch. We don't know if it was a lunch pail or a little brown bag. They saw him take a little lad's lunch and multiply it to feed that huge multitude. They know he walked across the Sea of Capernaum and stopped a storm. They saw, but they didn't really see, did they? Because if they had really seen, they would have known that the one standing there in front of them was the Son of God the Messiah of Israel, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate, the second Adam, the apostle and high priest of our profession, the chief bishop of our souls, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is all in all. He is everything. They didn't see him. Do you see him? Then it's the evidence of eternal life. Because the only ones that ever see him, the only ones that come to him, are the ones given to him by his father and that his father has drawn. Thank you, 
Heavenly Father, for giving us faith. And I will raise him up again at the last day. The Apostle Paul, in thinking about being raised up again at the last day, my, my, my memory just slipped me. What is the chapter in the Bible that's about the resurrection of the body? Oh yeah, 1 Corinthians 15. I speak as a fool. If I forget that chapter, I'm in serious problems. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 wonderful verses about the resurrection of our physical body. Paul gets to the end of it and starts making fun of death. How can a man make fun of death? Even in the book of Job, death is called the king of terrors. How can a man make fun of death? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15. And it's repeated here four times about being raised up by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's believe that. We don't have to be afraid of dying. Do you know what Paul would say in that same chapter? I know I'm getting off track a little bit. It's a different chapter. It's not John 6. Do you know what Paul said? We should want to die so that we can be planted. This is getting old. It doesn't act like it did in high school. It doesn't act like it did when it was 20. It doesn't act like it did when it was 30. No matter what efforts are put into making it younger, it's decaying and dying. Right. And we all know that, especially us older ones. You young ones think you're going to live forever, and so did we once. But we converted <laughs> when we looked in the mirror after 40, and we tried to feel a bicep. Paul said, we want to die so that we can be planted. Right. What does a corn seed look like? I use corn, and I hate doing it because I've got a family from Iowa sitting here that is smiling inside. What is he going to say about corn that he doesn't know? But let's try it anyway again. A kernel of corn. Right. How many of them are there on a cob? There are 16 rows on a cob of 50. There are 800 on a cob of corn. That little seed, it's not very big. You've seen them. You've eaten many of them. What happens when you take that little kernel and stick it down in the ground and put a little soil over it? How tall can a corn stalk be in Iowa? Not South Carolina. There's no dirt in South Carolina. Iowa. 14 feet. 14 feet tall with a tassel as big as an umbrella. It's with a stalk that a small child could climb. It's incredible from that little seed. What does an acorn look like? It's a bigger seed. You drop that little acorn in the ground and what comes up? A reproducing tree that leaves thousands of acorns, has plenty of leaves, has massive trunk, it's hardwood, it can heat three homes for an entire winter. Paul said, we want to be planted so we can get our glorified body. 
All of that is hinging on this man preaching in John chapter 6 who said, I will lose none of them, who said, I will raise him up again at the last day, who said, if you come to me and see me and believe on me, you'll have everlasting life and I'll raise you up again at the last day. Do you believe on him today? Run to him in your hearts. Lay hold of him by his ankles. Tell him that you love him. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. And he will have mercy. He is the epitome of mercy. And he was sent by God to save our souls. And he shall lose none of them. The Jews, what do they do with a lesson like that? They murmured at him. In verses 41 through 43. And then Jesus explained to them in verses 44 through 47 why they murmured. Because they hadn't been given to him by his father. And his father had not drawn them. And so they were doing the natural thing that all of us would do if Jesus Christ were to walk in here right now. The natural thing. The natural thing. We would rebel. The spiritual thing, because he's changed us, is we'd be fighting as to who could get to his ankles first and love him. Would we be like Mary, who broke the expensive box of ointment to anoint his feet, who wept over his feet, who wiped them with the hairs of her head. That is the spirit that we want toward the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll take up their response and our Lord's response to them when we come back after our break. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.